You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh. Proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. LFG-Oz.com.au Or you could visit their store in Canberra. It's in the ACT. For all your board gaming needs. And now, on with the show. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast listening land. This is Leon you're listening to of The Dice Man Cometh, and you've got to be thinking, hey, what's going on? He said he wasn't going to be on like the next couple of months of episodes because he was busy like being a dad and all important and whatnot. Well, the lads have tricked me in here because I said I was definitely going to stick around for the Patreon episodes, and they just said, oh, let's just record the normal episode on the same night (laughs) because it's efficient. I'll give you that. It's also a clever little trick. So I am here with Garth, who's tricked me into his bunker. Absolutely, and if you can be anything... Be efficient. Exactly. And Mr. Mark, who has strapped me into the bunker. Absolutely. You won't be going anywhere far, so we might as well talk for a few hours. Yes, I know. So here we are for episode, the normal everyday 349. Dice Men Cometh here to you talk about all the board games, card games, and anything to do with playing of the games. Brought to you by our good friends at LFG Australia and all our affiliates. You know who they are. Give them all the money. They're great. Give us money while you're at it because why not? Because we're about to record a Patreon episode after this and all the fun is going to be had by then (laughs) because we'll be half drunk by then, which is always good. But until that happens... We're just going to talk about some lovely family happy games that we've been playing of late. Absolutely. And we've got a couple of doozies. Doozies? In this episode, Garth. I think these are woozies and doozies because these games are massive Mm. and they are animalian. Uh, Let's just say that is a word. But basically they're involving animals. Mm. At least two of them anyway. So we're going to start with Wingspan. Asia. No. Yes. Yes. We're going to do a little bit of a comparison. So while Mark will tell you all about Wingspan Asia, we'll be sort of little bits of drip feeding what it does to the original Wingspan. Your favourite game of all time. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We're not bearing any leads here. No. Mm. Uh, Then we will do a little review on a game that has just come out on crowdfunding. It is Scrap by an Australian designer, uh, Kenny, and he was kind enough to send us a copy. So we've got a little 10 minute sort of a little bit of a, a preview about what that game is. And uh, if you are interested, mm. jump onto GameFound, give it all your money, except the Patreon money that you're giving us. And then finally, we're going to go woof, woof, woof and visit a dog park. And that's where you will get points from walking dogs. Who doesn't like that? Yeah. Spoiler alert, minus five stars, no cats included. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Are there such a thing as cat lovers? <laughs> Let's not get into that debate that I could clearly easily win. Let's just go to a quick little snippet of one of our friends or a Patreon ad or something fun and come back and talk about this hotness of hotness in the wingspan of Asia. You're the Dice Man Cometh. Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmeyer from Stonemeyer Games, and you are listening to the Dice Men Cometh podcast. Well, welcome back to the Dice Men Cometh. It's Garth, it's Mark, it's Leon, but it's Mark, really, mm. who's going to start by telling us all about Wingspan. Absolutely, Asia. absolutely, Garth. Thank you so much. And in case you didn't know, Wingspan Asia is. The third expansion to Wingspan, of course, we had the European expansion. We had the Oceanic expansion, which features our Australian birds, as well as some others from around the place. And Asian birds, you got to say. Asian birds, you say. Asian birds. Well, I, I'm i fond of an Asian bird. Um, I mean, we all are, let's, let's face that's it. That's right. No, but they are gorgeous. They are extremely attractive. Their plumage... In this version, I have to say, is absolutely stunning. Now, Wingspan Asia, as I said, it's the third expansion, but hold on to your hats because the good people at Stonemeyer Games, they have done something, I think, quite clever with this expansion. They've made it not just an expansion for the base game of Wingspan, but they've also made it a standalone two-player version. Now, that's a very smart thing to do. I've always said that when it comes to expansions, my the first expansion for a game that I really like, I want just more. Give me more, 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 more. These guys did that in their first two expansions. Mm. So when it comes to the third one, they could have just made it more birds for a game this popular, 
But let's face it, it's going to be diminishing returns, I imagine, for people that love the game, is also probably sales-wise as well, apart from the people that are really, like, you know, in the Asian region that have been hanging out for these Asian birds. So when you get to your second and third expansion, this is when you want to start testing the waters with maybe giving people a bit more, always give them more for the base game, I think, but then give them something extra, and they've done it, and it's a very smart thing to do. I should also mention, not only is it a standalone two-player game, for all those people with no friends, it's actually a standalone solo game as well. But wait, it also boosts the base game from five players to six or seven. Is that madness? Yes. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> now, yes. we haven't played that. But cleverly what they've done, there's this little flock turn order dial where effectively to speed up the game two people are having their turn at the same time. That's fairly novel, but I'm not sure how it works. I mean, we 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 remember back to our first experience of Wingspan quite a few years back at BorderCon, and must admit, Garth, because I don't think Leon played, we weren't a fan at the time. I can say I played this with, um, with normal people under a normal circumstance, and I was a big fan of this. I bought this game as soon as we got home and had the expansions not long after it. You two were just... Wrong and have been for many years. So this should be interesting. Well, I'm going to leave my opinion till the end of the, the, this particular segment because no one wants to hear what I have to say. <laughs> That's anyway. right. No, not well, Leon, I've come back because I have bought the, the base game recently after a little game convention you might have heard of, PAX. Nope, never heard of it. Um, because my wife is a huge fan of lovely pretty birds and I thought it's really like that entry-level game that she's going to be able to cope with and we played it quite a bit. But let me tell you, in the uh, Wingspan Asia expansion, so of course you get more bird cards, 90 more bird cards. You get more gold cards. But the big difference is red eggs. There's no red eggs in the base game or any of the other expansions. So again, another color of eggs. I think by now it's up to about six or seven different colored eggs if you've got all the expansions. Do they still make no difference whatsoever? Correct. Excellent. (laughs) Um, You've got more food tokens, more cubes. So all the things you need to play the, the game by itself. But importantly, what you've got is you've got the duet board and duet tokens. What is the duet board, you ask, Garth? Well, let me tell you. Thank you. Please. So in the base game... Good question, Garth. Give yourself a bit of the power. Yeah. In the base game, you've got the, the goal board, where at the end of the four rounds, you will have a goal and you will assess how you went, either on the competitive side where the person who got the most gets some points, the person who got the next amount gets fewer and so on, or the friendly side where you get points based on how many of the things that are the goal you got. Well, in this version, you have the duet board, and on the duet board, there are lots of little circles divided into three regions, which match the three regions on your habitat board. So you've got your forest, You've got your grasslands, you've got your wetlands. But all these little spots also have another attribute. So they will either have a picture of one of the nest types. They will have a picture of one of the food types. They will have a picture of a bird with his beak facing left or facing right. See that clever 3D audio thing I did there. Um, I think that's about it. And so every time you place a bird on your habitat board... You will remove one of the duet tokens that you carefully placed on all 15 spots at the setup of the game. You will then put your duet token on a spot on the duet board that matches one of the criteria. So it could be the nest type. It could be one of the food types you used to play the bird. It could be which way its beak's pointing. I feel like I'm missing something, Garth. Have I missed one of the, the attributes? The size. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. So wingspan, bigger than 50 centimetres, less than 50 centimetres. That's right. Very good. Glad someone was paying attention. But And then it'll also have to be in the region, so one of the three regions. Now, why do you want to place duet tokens? I hear you ask, Leon. Well, another good question. They're full of them. You want to place them because, firstly, at the end of the game, you will get points based on your largest contiguous as in you can draw a line through them, set of tokens, one point for each. So that's like a bonus scoring thing. But at the end of each round, there is a goal 
similar to the goal board in the base game. There's a goal based on things happening on the duet board. So it could be who's got the most duet tokens around the outside of the board, or who's got the most duet tokens not around the outside, or on nest types, or on food types, or I think there's... I should look on here. It'll tell me how many goals there are. No, it doesn't. Some. Um, there are goals. Yeah. There are six, and they're double-sided. So there are 12 different goals you can have, all relating to that duet board, and that's how the end-of-round goals are set up. Garth. Yeah, the duet board is the big difference between this particular version of Wingspan and all the expansions, and more importantly, the base game leading up to this. So one of the big differences is... In the base game, you've got those goals and they might be, you know, have birds of a particular type or have nests of a particular type or have birds with a particular type of nest that have eggs on them or something. Whereas all of the goals in this one relate to your position on the duet board. So it's still directing the style of play in the cards that you want to try and get out onto your habitat board, but in a slightly different fashion. Because one of the goals, as you said, Mark, is try and have duet tokens on the outside edge of this duet board. And the outside edge of this duet board is covered with food types and nest types and birds facing in a certain direction and being a certain size. So it's sometimes you just got to make really higgledy-piggledy decisions all to try and get that win for the round goal. Yep, that's right. And it's it's not necessarily as, I guess, as long-term as the original wingspan in that you might look at round one, two, three, and four as much um, because sometimes birds all tick off a lot of criteria on, on, on the goals in the base mm-hmm. game, whereas this yep. one, sometimes you're playing the bird just because it's going to fit that one slot on the duet board that you need it to make sure that you've got one more token in that thing than the opponent yep. to get me those maximum points. Let's come back to that in a minute, Garth, because okay. I've got something to say about that. But before we go on, for those who haven't heard of Wingspan, where have you been, firstly? But secondly, welcome. Wingspan welcomes everyone. Because it's very simple in terms of, much like that classic that everyone except Garth has heard of, Ticket to Ride, where you've got three simple actions. In Wingspan, you've basically got four. You can play a bird to the board. You can use the top row to get food. You can use the middle row to get eggs. You can use the third row to get cards. That is it. And I think that is why this game, the base game Wingspan, has been one of the reasons, certainly. One of the reasons it's been so successful is it's quite an easy teach now, in all the new editions, uh, Stonewire Games have the Swift Start uh, set up where each person has sort of a, a, play, a big player card and a hand of cards predetermined. And it basically talks you through, I think, about the first four turns of the game, um, which is great because we know there are lots of great how to play videos out there. And that's our preferred method and a lot of people's preferred method now for learning. But we know that one of the hugest barriers to entry for new players into this hobby is learning new games. This game is so gorgeous and so attractive, it attracts people. But to have something like that, again, I think kudos to Stonemeyer Games. I was just about to say, Stonemeyer do this for the vast majority of their games. And for example, when we received Wingspan Asia, I got to play it first. You know, it made sense, Mark, for you to, to be able to play it because you and your wife play it all the time. But I was able to set it up and somehow convince my partner Joe to play it. Mm. And we use that Swift Start guide and essentially it, you, know, you each have a turn that does one of the four actions. And that was a really good way for her to understand it because she's never been much of a gamer. Yeah. And this would be topping out her level of complexity in terms of the games that she's played previously. So it, it certainly made it a very, very simple teach, which was wonderful. Didn't answer all her questions. Yeah because each of the birds have a little bit of a special ability and that's perfectly fine, but it smoothed the learning experience to be palatable. Yeah. And that was great. And look, kudos again to Stonemeyer. I've just pulled up the Board Game Geek page for the Base Game Wingspan. I was going to read through, you know, a few of the awards that this game has won, but I don't have time because there would have to be the nominations in the awards. There would have to be... It looks like 30 plus listed on there. And it would be, I think, the longest list of 
um, prizes and nominations that I've ever seen for a game on Board Game Geek. This game has taken the world by storm, and I think this... Well, let's talk about this expansion now. So firstly, I think very clever, as we said, they've made it the standalone two-player game because I think this is going to open a lot of doors for people who maybe have thought about it, maybe thought they're not going to get full value out of the game when they have to buy it for, you know, sometimes it can be higher, say, $80, $85 maybe for the base game. This one, which we got from our good friends at Let's Play Games, and thank you so much to them, but I think is only retailing about the maybe like 50-ish dollars? Yeah, I'd say sort of that 50, 60 mark. Mm. Which you've got to think, you know, six months a year down the track, that's going to go to your sweet spot of your 50, your pineapple. Yeah. Mm. And so I think that alone is going to bring a lot more people to this game that already a lot of people are talking about it. I mentioned this game at my work the other day, which is not really a big gaming place, and three people said, I know that game. That's my favourite game. I play that game. People that basically aren't gamers, but they know this game and they play this game. So I just want to jump in and say, for me... Jumping into his own talking, yeah, crazy. Yeah, breaking yeah. your own monologue, Mark. That's a great question. Thanks, Fifth Mark. wall, isn't it? <laughs> um, I am on the fence whether I prefer the duet board. You can't be on the fence. You're a reviewer, or got to be all in. Or I prefer the original board because for me, the original board. When you look at the four goals, it helps direct you. And you might think, well, this bird that I play isn't going to contribute to the first round goal, but it will contribute to the second round goal. Whereas with the duet board, there's no guarantee that in the second round I can get the token in the place I want because Garth, crafty bastard that he is, he might take the spot that I think is really good now in the first round. So I don't feel like it it directs you quite so much in your strategy. It does direct you as to, well, I want to put it in that section of the duet board or... Uh, Sometimes I found almost it was the reverse. Like I played a bird that gave me a spot on the duet board, whereas maybe if I just looked at my overall strategy, playing that bird, I might have a better bird. So I feel like sometimes maybe it's pushing you in a different direction to what the goal board does. Having said that, look, I really I enjoy them both. Well, I remember you saying that your opinion was going to be based partly on what your wife oh, thought. Oh, yes. Well, you go first, and I'll come back to my wife. Okay. Well... Look, I think my thoughts on Wingspan are, are quite well known. If they're not, go play something else. Um, because it's... it's. Look, as you said, Mark, it's a great game for non-gamers to learn more about our hobby. Mm-hmm. It looks absolutely stunning on the table. The actions are simple. And it is very easy and simple. And fun, maybe, to play. That's why you love it so much. Yeah. <laughs> is it a great game? No, I don't believe it is. I think it is a very appropriate game and I think it does what it does very, very well. But is it something I'm going to sit down and choose to play? No, I'm not. Wingspan Asia, I would choose to play because I can smash it out quickly with my other half. Mm -hmm. It is available and quick and easy to play two players. And that's kind of it. I like the duet board. I think the duet board does a really good job of making it not just a solo experience it really does force you to make less than optimal decisions to try and block that one spot on the duet board um that you'd otherwise not bother yep well i haven't had a chance to play this yet because i've been busy daddying and whatnot and here we go again and taking care of my children as well um but i was going to ask if you weren't a fan of the original would this change your opinion in any shape or form but you just answered the question. It kind of does. So that's good to know. So people that did like the original will be a big fan of this because it's more of the same and a little bit of tweak. And people that weren't a huge fan might want to give this a crack because it's kind of like the original, but with a bit of a tweak. And my uh, wife, Sarah, who, like, we do play a few games, but she's not massively into deep strategic games. We play terraforming mars and we love it but it does take us a long time and we play this and she loves it and she stops and she looks at the lovely bird pictures every time but initially she felt the same as me that she preferred the the goals but after playing this a couple of times she swung the other way there we go and um she decided that she liked the duet board as well for that reason because it was sort of like a little mini game a mini puzzle within the game yes 
And there's also, just not from a mechanical or game point of view, this game seems to be very environmentally produced. Mm. You know, it's got, um, obviously, the baggies are not plastic. They're sort of these biodegradable baggies. They're really annoying. They're hard to get separated. Mark, save the planet. Okay, stop (laughs) killing whales with those baggies and just use your biodegradable ones and be done with it. Um, look, the art looks stunning, and yep. yes, the the Asian birds just you know, through the geography, yes, are bright and bold, and oh, they yeah. do look a lot more stunning than some of the other birds. Because, because Mark, they... you did make me play basement span <laughs> at two players only a few nights ago yep. when I thought you were going to just make me play a dice game about fishing. <laughs> anyway, we'll talk about that later. And, and look, I won, so so I guess it's a good game. But has, a, has a bird dice tower. That was annoying. No, Wingspan was, Asia doesn't, Leon, though. No, but the base does. And it's annoying. Anyway. Um. <laughs> so Wingspan Asia, look, I think there's something for almost everyone there. Certainly, if you're a fan of the game already, you're going to love this one. Do you need more cards? Of course you need more cards. And if you don't have the base game already, and you've been, you've been intrigued by it, then this is a great entry-level to get in and get those non-gaming friends on board to games. And look, I think that that Wingspan full stop belongs in those same sort of National Geographic, Australian Geographic, or the sort of the edutainment kind of stores that parks should Oh, yeah. In. You know, because I know um, some, some friends of mine who live up the road, they received Wingspan from their parents-in-law just because again it was birds and beautiful art yeah and and that was enough just to get someone to buy it so to have and we've talked about this previously games that get bought for people who are not gamers that just get opened people read the rules or give up and it never play gets played this at least is so simple especially with the swift start swift start guide Mm. that it should get played and that's brilliant all right well that's enough about birds and wingspan let's take a break come back and talk about Another game, you're with the Dice Man Cometh. The Dice Man Cometh! Hey, I'm Keith D. Franks III, and you're listening to my favourite show, The Dice Man Cometh. Back again with the Dice Men Cometh. We're going to have a quick little 10 minutes here where Garth and Mark, who recorded this little snippet the other night, are going to tell you about a lovely new Australian game called Scrap, which is on GameFound at the moment. A guy called Kenny that they met at PAX, I believe, although I don't believe them because PAX, blah. Uh, I happened to play this game as well, and I quite enjoyed it. So we're going to throw it to them now, hear their thoughts, and then come back after that, and we're going to review yet another game. And here we are. It's Garth and Mark live from the studio, Mm. and we have a little bit of a special conversation to have, don't we? We sure do, Garth. We have managed to get hold of a copy of Scrap, a game by Aussie designer Kenny Michael Otten. Now, full disclaimer, which I just disclaimed, was that the designer has given us a prototype copy of this game, which, Garth, I believe it's coming to... Game found? It is, to one of those crowdfunding little internet thingamabobs mm. coming out soon. So if you want to get the download on what this is all about, just keep listening. Absolutely. So scrap your various factions of artificial intelligence, robot-y type things. All I know is there's lots of gorgeous big wooden minis with stickers on them and, and a number of different factions you can do that have special abilities. How do you know what your abilities are? Garth, you've got cards. Lots and lots of cards. That's right. You've got your, you've got base level cards and then when you get better at stuff and more experienced, you get to upgrade those cards and get even better abilities. And so on your turn, you're going to use these cards to... It sort of has a, a program movement phase where you're playing cards and programming what you're going to be doing over the upcoming turns. Yeah, you do. But before we get to all the ins and oh, outs, sorry, Mark, yes, sorry. what is a scrap and why do I care? Yeah, what is a scrap? Because you highlighted that, you know, your sort of intelligences and whatever you, and you are going to be taking on the role of a faction of bots known as an intelligence. Mm. And you're trying to race to learn the secrets of the mysterious substance known as Celestium. Oh, yes. Duh. Celestium. So basically what you're trying to do is 
get points. You're trying to win. You're trying to get the most points or most data in this case may be. And you're going to be doing that by essentially making your own systems better. You're going to be playing cards into your own queue. And that's where you've got your program movement side of things. So you're always going to have a little bit of a plan of this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do next time. And a lot of the strategy is going to come into how you set your own program movement up to mess around with those opponents. Because mm. you might have a bit of an understanding of, oh, this is what old Marky boy is going to do. He's just going to try and start a fight over there because he wants some Celestium. I better make sure I'm doing the right card actions to be able to prevent him from getting that victory that he so sorely needs. Yeah, and Garth, I feel like this game, sometimes it feels a bit like something, like say Scythe, where there's a number of different things you can do to get points. It's a race to get to that, in this case, uh, I think they're called, it's called data, isn't it? It's a race to get to 50. And so, of course, one of the ways you get data is fighting. You can do fighting against your enemies because everyone's your enemy in space. Or you can go around and you can scavenge things and get points for that. You can gain control of areas on the board and get points for that. So there's a number of different ways of getting points. But then you've got your cards that let you do all these abilities. And that's where the program movement comes in. So you're playing cards down and then basically the card that's at the front of the pile, you'll be actioning that card each turn. Yeah. And this is this is the cool thing about this game, of which there are many. Mm. You know, it has a really cool table presence, and the minis of which each faction has three distinct types. You've sort of got your small, your medium, and your large bots that cost you different degrees of energy and what have you to, to get out on the board. But it, the game plays out over three rounds, and ultimately, once you've got over um, the the sort of the explanation on how the game plays, which you know, that's that's maybe a bit of a challenge for this game because there are quite a bit of rules and that's the level of, of weight that this game falls into, which is fine. But the actions themselves are pretty straightforward. You're going to be typically playing um, the most recent card on your queue. You're going to be revealing it. You're going to be doing the actions on it and you have the opportunity to boost the actions by discarding some of the cards from your hand or, or whatever you need to be. Using some... your magic Celestia. That's right. You'll then use it. You'll do the thing, and the thing might be getting more energy, or moving your bots around the board, or some of the other um, aspects you can do, like flying around your ship to the other parts of the mm. board, or initiating battles, and all of these things which are really thematic and cool. You'll do it, and then you'll move on to your call phase, which is where you're going to actually go up this domain track, of which there are different things that you can essentially get better and better and better at. And you'll choose one of the four potential um, domain tracks. You'll increase your skill or your knowledge in that one and choose from the available actions that you can do. That's going to allow you to potentially build more bots. Might again allow you to have a fight or maybe even to stun some of your opponents before you do decide mm. to have a battle. Or move yourself around a lot. There's a lot of different options here and, and deciding when to go up on a domain track and which one you want to do is a really critical part because you kind of want to be better than everyone else yes. at every action, but that's just not going to be the case. Well, that's the thing is you because you've got four tracks to choose from, you know, do you specialise and get really, really, really good at one or do you try and get everything up? But Garth, you've also got artefacts. Did I mention the artefacts? They're these ancient, amazing things. They let you power up your abilities, they also let you get better at other special things you've got on your player card. And they're just really cool. They give you points as well. But the best part of this game for me was the battle system. Now, it was a bit reminiscent of a game that I didn't... I don't feel like I played enough, but I wanted to play it more. It was Rising Sun. Oh, yeah. Where you allocate your troops, uh, your bots or whatever to various portions of the battle on this little battle board. So there's five sections, and the battle then resolves from left to right. But each of the five sections sort of has special ways you impact the other sections, and then you basically work out who has won each section, and you get data, the victory points, for each of those sections and other special things. So you might throw all your bots onto one section of the board and win that, win the battle completely. But then you might also spread out, get a heap of data, but lose all your bots. It's it's quite an intriguing system. And anyone who's played that Rising Sun will remember how, 
you know, that that battle, the battle is sort of a puzzle in itself. It, it is. And it's really cool because you're doing this in secret and the battles are not just necessarily um, sort of a foregone conclusion. Mm. So you're going to be putting your, your workers or your bots behind the screen and everyone's going to be secretly placing them in. Which of these sections can I do? And then, yeah, depending on if you win, you know, the leftmost, you might get a bonus to your weapons or yeah. something like that. And if I win the next one, then I'm going to have an extra tanky bot that's going to make it hard for you to kill. But it, it's just a really clever system. Yes. And it just allows, <clears throat> I guess, another mechanic and a, a bit of a break state into sort of the typical Euro mechanics of playing a card, doing the actions, going up a track. It sort of adds this nice little bit of rock'em, sock'em robots to, to this game. Yeah, because it is, I guess... You could say, in an essence, it's sort of like a 4X game, but with program movement, with advancing levels, with this cool battle system. So there's a lot it's offering. As you said, it can take a little bit to get your head around at the start, but once you have taught yourself the rules, it flows really, really nicely and actually plays relatively quickly compared to what we thought it might have been at the start. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Kenny was really great in telling us, look, this game is is quite complicated and it can take a bit of a time, especially with four players, which is what we played it at. But we didn't find that. Once we were able to make sure that you particularly were over the rules, which that in itself is a whole other mm. micro game, um, it, it did flow quite nicely. The program movement is simple because you're only typically dealing with two cards. And there's ways for you to swap the cards around. So if you've made a bit of a boo-boo, yes. you can then go, whoop, Swapsy-doodle, and here we go, and I've spent some Celestium, but I've got things now in the order that I want to do. Um, and the domain track where you're going up and, and specialising, the good thing is each of the factions start at different points, so they've certainly got different faction specialisations. Yeah, all the factions feel really different. They do, and, and again, what I really like, and this is reminiscent probably of, of a lot of Stonemaier games, so again, Scythe mm. and you know, Tapestry and a few other ones as well, is that Kenny said, well, this is the type of character that this race is so this is the the seafaring or the spacefaring one that can get around really quickly and this is the one that's really about tanky and beating up everything else and so there's a lot of different variations going on which is really cool and it allows for a lot of replayability we've only played four factions i think there's going to be at least six wow uh who knows how well this particular crowdfunding project goes because there may be even more well look i mean aussie game designer a game that offers a lot for lots of different people, as we said. You've got program movement, you've got card selection and uh, card actions, you've got this unique, really, battle system, you've got the cool area control. I think there's something there for almost every game of Garth. Well, there you go. I think you're right, Mark. Not to mention glorious table presence, mm. fantastic minis, and that's in our version, which is a crowdfunding preview version it's not even the real bona fide this has been produced at a thousand million copies yeah this is just the get it out to the reviewers have a bit of a think about what they actually like about it and we played it we liked it we thoroughly recommend it if you're into that kind of game which is maybe more 3x than 4x yes. it's not a huge amount of exploration yes. because the map is is pre-generated yep. I think this one could be a winner here. Mm. And um, yeah, I think Kenny's done an absolutely wonderful job with Scrap. Anyway, check it out. Kenny Michael Otten brings you Scrap on Game Found. And there you were. That's what the lads think about Scrap. Check it out on Game Found right now if you want to have a goosey. I think it might be worth a backing, but that's up to you. We'll be right back in a minute to talk about some dogs. Hey, this is Brenna from Quillsilver Studio. You're listening to The Dicemen Cometh, a podcast that I absolutely adore. This is Greg May from Quillsilver, and I just love the gas room, The Dicemen Cometh. Hey, this is Dan from Quillsilver Studio, and I'm chilling out with The Dicemen Cometh. I wonder what the next game I'll play will be. I'm sure it'll be a good one. a lovely thing to say and you know what else is a lovely thing to do have pets and to walk those pets especially if they're a dog but you know what's also more fun than all those things playing a board game maybe about walking dogs if only that could happen garth could that happen that could happen right. which is very good because i have already walked my dog today and i don't feel like doing that again you know what i did with my cats today nothing 
probably probably cleaned up their poo and their wee because they poo poo and their wee in a box inside your house. Yes, I did. Which my dog doesn't. Well, my cats could as well if they were outside cats, but they... but then they'd be killing native wildlife, and there would be no wingspan Oceania now, because now, I now, keep them now, inside now, because no, I care stop, for them. Stop! What? No more cat and dog wars. We're going to be friendly here. Okay. Okay. Let's just talk about a game. Okie doke. We'll talk about a game. <laughs> Garth. Cats are better. Garth? Garth? Well, it's a beautiful day, Leon, because yeah. as a dog walker, Blech. you know there will be plenty of pups eager to stretch their legs. Bunch. You better pull on your walking shoes and pack up your treats. Yes, you better will. You better will. It's going to be a busy day. So you've decided that you're going to try to set tails wagging by taking your favourite pups on a trip to the dog park. To earn the reputation of the best dog walker around, you're going to need treats, toys and lots of them. You'll also want to keep an eye on the forecast and your fellow walkers. Because someone's... You have a reactive dog, as I do, and keeping people away from them is quite good. <laughs> why, why would why would you need to do that with dogs? Are they like vicious animals that hurt people or something? No. Now that's cats scratching things. Yeah, sure. You're not the only one that's trying... They went up in a current affair, don't they? Cats on a current affair. <laughs> Let's just put an edit line in there. Um, (laughs) You're not the only one trying to attract the most desirable dogs to your kennel and become known as everyone's favourite dog walker. Blah, 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 blah. Have the most victory points by walking dogs. And that is the theme of Dog Park, a game about walking dogs, which is what dogs is to dogs, wingspan is to birds. It's a board game that looks really nice, has lots of beautiful dog art, by dog lover, presumably Dan May. Mm. It's dog span. It is dog span. It is absolutely dog span. However, it is probably even simpler than wingspan. Yeah. Now, that is great because, again, this game fits into the family friendly, looks really beautiful, has good table presence, but kind of like Takedo even. I don't care about winning. I just care about having a nice, genteel, leisurely walking experience and get the best dogs. What am I going to do in this game? It's made up of four rounds, and that's really, really compact and nice and easy. And each of those rounds is going to be made up of four different sections or phases. The first one's going to be your recruitment, and this is where you're going to be recruiting dogs, presumably from a pound or a kennel or from a dog shop. I don't know. No, no, you... Garth, you're a dog walker, yeah, yeah. and so you're tempting the the dogs and their owners out there to let you be their their walker, and hopefully they're going to pay you. Well, hopefully, but they seem to pay in treats. Yes. So anyway, um, there's going to be two rounds of bidding, and one of the things about this is you're going to have the four dogs face up. Uh, everyone is going to end up with two dogs because they're a maximum of four players. The first round of bidding, there'll be four dogs up. Everyone will get one of those. You'll refresh them. There'll be another four dogs. So at the end of the game, you will have a total of eight dogs. What you're going to be bidding is your, let's just call them victory points. They're called reputation points, but they're victory points. You're going to have a secret little dial that's numbered one through to five, and you get to bid in secret for the dog that you want up to five of your victory points. Mm. Now, It's going to be going around and around in player order, starting with the first player. They will place their walker marker on one of the dogs so that everyone knows what dog they've bid on, but not how much they've bid. That'll go around the table once. You'll all reveal your bids. Whoever's bid the most for each of the dogs gets it. In the event of a tie, whoever bid first on that particular dog gets it. You'll then lose points on the victory point track. You'll refresh the dogs. You'll do that again, and that's your recruitment phase. You'll bring them back onto your board. Your board is split up into two sections. You've got your kennel, which is where you're going to be housing your dogs. And then you've got your lead area, which is where you're actually going to move dogs up when they are the ones that get to go for a walk, Mm. which happens in the next phase, which is thematically called the selection phase. And this is where you will select your dogs to go for a walk. It's not called the walkies phase. No. Because you're just selecting the dogs. Mm, It's exciting, this phase, where you grab two cards push them up slightly on your player board and put two little tokens Or if on you're them. really lucky, Leon, yeah. you've got enough treats and balls and the squishies to 
Walk three dogs. That is true. You it can. It would happen. You can walk three dogs. You can. So typically you can walk between one and three dogs, and this is where you'll be paying for them. Now each player is going to start with some starting resources, of which there are four types. There are sticks, there are balls, there are squishies, um, which are little sort of purple squid looking things, mm. uh, and then there's bones. So each of the dogs, of which there are masses and masses and masses there must be hundreds of dog cards all of them are unique all of them are different breeds and have different criteria but they all tell you what the cost of this dog is to walk so you're going to pay your balls or your sticks or your combination of those things and you'll choose the dogs that you're going to walk as soon as you've selected them you then put a collar on each of them which is a round chit that has a picture of a collar on it that is really the extent of the selection phase then you're going to do the walking phase, and this is where the game really becomes like Parks or Takedo, because you're all going to start on one end of the board. You can walk between one and four spaces. It's also where you're going to get your resources along the way. So if you land on a spot, you can get a ball, a stick, a something, a something. You've got a couple of other actions available to you on this particular part of the game, which is where you can scout which allows you to have a look at a couple of dogs from the top of the dog deck, potentially do a bit of swapping action. And then you've also got the option to actually just swap a dog from one that is in your kennel, so not a dog that you're walking, with one of the dogs that's available face up in the, in the market. But you do that going from left to right. There's a little bit of a um, sort of whoever gets first gets to have the first dibs at you know which spot they end on, whether they want to get three victory points, two victory points, one victory point, or a swap and a scout action, or the loser spot, which is a loss of a victory point for walking last. I got that like three times. You did. <laughs> and I come last. <laughs> you did. Yep. But that says more about you as a cat person than anything else. <laughs> yes. Uh, there is, again, similar to Parks, uh, a little rule where if you are the only walker left who hasn't completed, you have to just immediately go to the end of the path. Um, so you can't just keep going one step, one step, and getting massive amounts of resources. Then you're going to have the last phase. Uh, well, in, in, I guess at the end of the walking is where you're going to score your points. You'll get a couple of points for each dog that you've walked. You'll lose points if your dogs haven't been walked and they don't have a, kennel, a, a collar on them because all the dogs like walkies. You want to go for walkies? You want to go for walkies? Of course they want to go for walkies. <laughs> and they get really sad if they haven't gone for walkies. Mm. And sad means less loss of victory points. You'll then reset your board. You'll then come home. And coming home is basically moving yourself into the next round yeah you're going to do that four times whoever has the most points wins however every single dog card has a special ability that relates to one of the phases of the game there might be ones that are available in the selection phase where you go every time you put a collar on this dog it's been selected to walk you get a thing it might be a victory point it might be a resource it might be something else or when they're on the walk itself they might whenever you get a ball you get a stick as well or one of the biggest bonuses you could potentially get is a social dog. And what that means is that whenever you land on a space that is already occupied, usually it's going to cost you a resource to get the benefit of that spot. But with a social dog, you don't have to spend your resource so you can get balls and sticks and squishies all the live long day without having to pay those victory points. It's good. It is a massive, massive, mm. massive bonus. Um, You've then also got forecasts, which is just basically a little modifier for each of the rounds available. And they might be that every dog costs one less resource when you walk them. Or you can walk four dogs if you can afford them this particular one. Or it might be that every dog is a social dog and away you go. So they just offer a little bit of a, a tweak there. Um, and apart from that... That's kind of the game. Yep. It is super duper easy. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I'm sure you're about to get to it next, but the main ability that a lot of these dogs have is end of game scoring, which is where all of this comes together. Because during the game itself, we all made, say, 20 odd victory points because, you know, between giving and taking, spending them throughout the game. But then when it comes to the end of game, you get a whole tableau of doggos to go through and figure out what's what. That's right. So the end of game is actually. A combination of set collection as well as the end of game victory points. So some dogs, yes, Leon, they will have end of game scoring, which allow you to assign resources to them. So a dog might be a stick lover. And if you've got leftover sticks, you can assign up to usually six of that resource to get up to six points. Some might like balls, some like bones, blah, 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 blah. 
you usually can top out at about a maximum of six points per dog. Then you go into the breed experts. And at the start of every game, you've shuffled and randomly determined uh, the order of which breeds are considered to be the most valuable when it comes to the points. So the scores range from eight points down to two points. And it's quite simply, whoever has the most of that breed of dog on their player board gets the points. Ties are friendly as yes. well from memory. Yeah. So this is where you do want to keep an eye on kind of everyone else's board because thankfully the dogs are all coloured quite clearly. You've got your working dogs, which are brown and rough and ready, and you've got pastoral dogs, which are green, and you've got your toy dogs, mm. which are bright and pink and fluffy. So you can easily see, without having to read the criteria, oh, you've got three of those pastoral dogs, you've got a couple of working dogs, you've got... So, da, da, da. so you can get an idea of that. And then the last part of it is your objective cards. At the start of the game, every player gets a complicated and a basic objective card, usually going to give you between three and seven points if you've achieved it at the end of the game. You choose one of those. So you can either go the easier option to sort of go for three points or the one that's going to make a bit more of an effort and get yourself seven points. This game absolutely fits in the wingspan sort of criteria. It's even more family friendly. I played it with my family and there was four of us sitting around the table. It was a great game. It maybe went a bit long. That's yeah. my review. Well, look, um, again, I played this game with my wife, Sarah. I actually bought this game myself from a friendly local game store because my wife loves dogs. Every card that flips over, she goes, look at his little face. And I think that's why the game takes a little bit longer for us. <laughs> but yes, it has the tableau building of Wingspan um, matched with the sort of walking along, sharing spaces or not sharing spaces with parks. And as you said, Garth, it's probably like one notch lower on the gamer's belt than Wingspan. Very family friendly. I must admit, with two players, you have an Automa that will compete for the dogs with you and also compete on the walking with you. That's very, very simple to operate. You can also play solo, and I think the Automa figures in that as well. Who would do that? I mean, you want to play with the dogs. But um, I thought it would be more competitive, particularly the bidding section with four players. It's and it wasn't really because, I mean, for the most part, there's enough of each type of dog that you think, look, rather than spend my hard-earned reputation points, I'm just going to take that other dog for one and then maybe use a swap action to get the type of dog that I need to get me more points on the or more of the same dogs for the breed expert. So, I mean, I... I like it. My wife loves it. For a gamer, I think it's, yeah, I think it's a couple of notches too low to interest most gamers who aren't looking maybe to play it with a, a significant other or a family because it is that simple level. It's gorgeous though. I mean, any any game that Dan May is associated with is always stunning. Um I've got the deluxe version, so it's got the it's got screen printing on all the little treats and everything that makes it really cool. It's got a couple of bonus expansions, which guess what? More dogs. <laughs> um, yeah, the art is beautiful. That was the end of it. The yeah. art is beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's probably my review. Yep. The sure, you're not being a bit rough. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, yes, I also played this game. Oh. Um, <laughs> It's good. There's literally nothing wrong with this game. It plays completely fine, as you've said. I pretty much agree with everything that you guys have said. However, the games that we have mentioned as we've gone through this little chat, we've mentioned your wingspan, we've mentioned Parks, mm. we've mentioned Takedo. Mm. Those three games, in my mind, are better than this game. Yes. They are also cheaper than this game. So basically, if you're a big dog-loving family... Emphasis on family, because as you said, if you're, you know, four hardcore gamey, gamey, you know, adult type people, I mean, you'll still like it. Don't get me wrong, but mm, yeah, is kind of my issue. So, like, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but those other games I would always recommend higher. But if I had a 12 year old girl that was obsessed with dogs, absolutely buy this game, give it a crack. You will not be disappointed. Absolutely right. Do you know any 12 year old girls around? Uh, in about. 11 and 11 years and 11 months I will because it'll be my own yes you know my daughter my daughter turned 12 only a few months ago there you go there you, you go know. I do I do know one <laughs> and she likes this game there you go so there you go I was right 
is that all we've got to say about dog park? And is in fact everything we've got to say on this particular episode? Well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't have anything more to say about dog park. It's nice. There are dogs. Um, I'll play it with my wife because it's shorter than terraforming Mars or even than wingspan. It sure is. There's your, that's that's what you put on the sticker. So that is the glowing endorsement from the Dice Men Cometh. Yeah, you pay part. an extra twenty bucks, but you'll get an extra fifteen minutes. Hooray! <laughs> no, look, it certainly has it. It has its audience. Absolutely, it will attract a lot of people just from the look. Um, but I don't know if it has. I don't know whether it set the world on fire. Mm. Like it had a successful Kickstarter. It funded and and people have got the game, but it's certainly not one of those games that is constantly talked about on all the board game Facebook yeah. groups. Well, I think I mean yeah, you've got that for example. You've got Birdwood Games. If it's not their first game, it's very close to their first game. You've got two brand new designers, who apparently are professional dog walkers. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the marketing, the social presence, it's certainly not out there. Whereas we all know that Stonewire Games, that's something that they will smash out of the park. They will get masses amount of review copies out there and they will hound those reviewers to get them up because we've experienced that ourselves. Um, hound, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> There's Mark Chirpin again. Yes. Uh, we should go. Anyway, um, look, a couple of games there. Both of them family friendly. Both of them gorgeous to look at. Both of them quite fine games. And the other one's about killer robots. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's right. Um, but really, that's episode 349. Before we go, as we said, after this, we're going to go and record probably two hours of rambling nonsense where we have a few drinks. Maybe we talk a bit more effusively about things. Um, and if you're interested in hearing those, uh, firstly, we put up a one of those episodes as a Christmas present before Christmas, so it's there for you to hear what it's like. But also, if you want to hear all of them... And if you want to be in the prize draw, most importantly. Well, get we're giving games. away another game this time, getting custom dice, getting a chance to interact with us and ask us questions, because we've got a buttload of questions to ask. And we even had one of our Patreons come down to Hobart on a holiday... And we had a game night with him at our local pub. I think he said that was the reason he came down to Tassie. And we played Dog Bark with him. Exactly yeah. right. He'll never come back. <laughs> no, 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 no. He had a lovely time. Um, So, I don't think I've got anything more to say except for that's episode 349 of The Diceman Cometh. Hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicemencometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.